It's 8.33 a.m. in the morning. You're listening to Upfront. I'm Ariel Boone. And I'm Kat Brooks. Brian Edwards Teekert is on vacation on February 23rd, 2020. Ahmad Arbery was jogging in a white Georgia neighborhood when he was stalked, cornered, and killed by three white men. Travis McMichael, his father Gregory McMichael, and William Roddy Bryan were all charged with the murder of Mr. Arbery. The trial, well under Ray, has brought up questions and some rage about who was really on trial for the death of Mr. Arbery. Joining us to discuss is Christopher Bruce, Policy Director with the ACLU of Georgia, as well as Reverend James Woodall. Oh, excuse me. We uh, are going to wait on Christopher Bruce. We are joined by the Reverend. Good morning, Pastor. Good, mo- good morning. How are you? I'm good, Pastor. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, I, I know that you've been following the trial closely, engaged in the in the trial. I, I, I always like to start these segments actually with the human, humanization of the people we're talking about because these trials put the victims uh, on the stand, um, even post-mortem, and, and we lose sight of the fact that this was a whole human being. What do we know about Mr. Arbery as a human being? Well, what we know first, um, and Chris is probably not with us because there was just a motion made to uh, declare a mistrial. So we're watching it very, very closely in this really, really uh, intense moment in this trial. But as it relates to... Okay, hold on, Pastor. I'm, um, not, I, I'm actually, Pastor, I'm going to stop you there, actually. That's that's a major development. Um, to talk about the motion that was made in, in, in the court this morning. For sure. So there has been a lot of conversation. It, it, it lends itself back to last Thursday when there was conversation from the McMichael or William Roddy Bryant's attorney, Kevin Goff, who pretty much says we have all these black pastors coming into the courtroom that are offering comfort to the family. And though, quote unquote, I recognize this is what he says. I recognize that, you know, they need comfort and, you know, the, the, the value that pastors have in the victim's life. But what we have is possibly causing a disruption within the courtroom and jurors potentially could be uh, improperly uh, be, being used, if you will, inside of the courtroom. So he, he raised that question in the court. The judge Walmsley says, you know, I've already ruled on this multiple times. I'm not going to prevent or prohibit a person of the public from being able to be here in the courtroom. It happened again today when the Reverend Jesse Jackson enters into the courtroom earlier this morning and Kevin Guy raised it again, and the judge, you know, pretty much goes back and forth. And uh, there was just a, a moment in which uh, there was an emotional outcry, if you will, from somebody in the courtroom that pretty much saw a picture of a mod and they started to cry. So the judge asked, you know, the jury to step out and to give the person who was crying an opportunity to leave the courtroom so that there, there would not be any prejudice within the jury panel from hearing the evidence of the case and ultimately to determine whether or not these persons will be convicted or not. And so at that point in time, the kept the uh, defense attorneys, all three of them, uh, then moved for a mistrial, and the judge is now on the stand ruling whether or not there will be a mistrial. But uh, if there's any evidence of what he's being saying this whole time, is that he's going to deny that motion. We're joined now also by Christopher Bruce, policy director with the ACLU of Georgia. Good morning, Mr. Bruce. Good morning. I see you have my good friend Woodall on as well. Yeah, yes, sir. And just wondering, we, he thought that you might have been delayed because of this motion that was made in the courtroom. Wondering if you have anything to add about what just happened, but but also if if you could speak to any legal basis for trying to declare a mistrial because the family, 
I has people that are comforting them, regardless of, of their status as a public figure, and or are having emotional responses to this very horrific incident. Yes, and let's pick up where that left off. You have a right to be in court proceedings as the general public, unless there is some sort of circumstance that the judge deems that this is going to be uh, prejudicial to the jury. Uh, but when it comes down to it, we have a democracy and a justice system which says the public, everything should be held in a public forum. There's no, nothing that should be held behind the scenes because we are seeking the truth. And anything that obstructs that is a problem. These motions should not be made. As we said before, they've been made before and then shot down. This back and forth does not need to happen. But what the defense is probably doing right now is trying to preserve the record of saying if there is going to be an appeal, this is one of the bases mm. that their appeal is going to be based upon. So that's why you constantly say, well, it's been said before. Well, this is another instance. So, again, it's more of a throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks instead of just saying, well, we're just going to go about it. So, yes, there's a lot of legal strategy that goes along with it. But when it comes down to it, you know, uh, the general public has a right to be there and they should be there uh, for this horrendous, horrendous crime. As I'm listening to, to y'all talk, I just I keep having it, the images of uh, Derek Chauvin's mother in the courtroom. Right there to provide comfort to her son. They're being visibly emotional about about her son, um, and, and not creating this type of uh, of uproar. Well, what I'll say to that is, you know, one of the unique things about this case, and we've seen it from the Derek Chauvin trial to the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, and now to the McMichael Bryan trial, is that we see the judge, Judge Walmsley, who is a seer judge at this point, um, who is you know, started this case particularly a little bit later in the process, but he has been very, I don't want to say, you know, objective, but he has allowed the entire due process to take place. Um, and there has not been as many concerns as it relates to uh, improper use of, of rules within evidence or, you know, showing bias one way or the other. He has been the most fair judge I've seen, I personally seen, and some of these big marquee cases. And so um, I'm interested to see what happens in this this case. But we can't get so caught up in the media headlines that we forget what's actually being discussed and where the failures of this current criminal legal system has, has been promoted uh, in this moment. Agreed. I want to stay there just for a minute. Mr. Bruce, you can maybe uh, start with this they answer this question, and we can go back to the pastor. I, I agree, right? We, we've seen judges acting very differently <laughs> than we have historically in, in these kinds of cases as they relate to, to white supremacist violence as well as uh, police violence. Um, how, how much do you tie that to this current political moment and the power and pressure of what's been happening on the streets? This is a time in our history that people are more politically engaged and involved. And a lot of it deals with social media and the access to resources to have up-to-date information on these types of issues. Uh, when it comes to judges, they are very aware of that. And especially when it comes to picking a jury and making sure that your constitutional rights are all being held into, makes it a little bit more complicated. But these judges lately have really taken on more of a personality when it comes to the courtroom. So I don't know if they're trying out for the next <clears throat> judicial reality TV show, 
or anything else, but uh, the things that you've seen uh, lately is not how every day, I, I still practice as an attorney, this is not how everyday courtroom uh, litigation goes. So these judges are, they're definitely within a spotlight. I mean, I think the last time we saw something this major was uh, Trayvon Martin's uh, case where he was killed on February 26th. In 2013, um, but you can always go back to the, even the <clears throat> OJ case when people were criticizing uh, every ruling that was happening. So it's kind of the environment that we're in. Uh, but people need to be aware of this to make sure. Remember, justice isn't when someone just goes to jail or anything else. Justice is when this never happens again, and that goes along with more prolonged issues that are happening in Glen County and Brunswick. Mr. Bruce, you actually just a answered a question I was going to ask later on in the interview, but I'm, I'm going to throw it then to to pastor to the pastor. Pastor, what, what does justice look like? I mean, even if these men are convicted, right, Ahmaud Arbery is never coming back. And we know that black people continue to, to be victims of violent white supremacist violence every single day in this country. Right. So justice in this particular moment for this community looks like actually addressing the failure of of seven weeks of no accountability, right? You had a, a district attorney, a then district attorney in Jackie Johnson, who had the case and told uh, investigators to not arrest him Mick Michaels. And granted, Ryan wasn't even in consideration of being investigated at that point in time until May 7th happened when the video was released and GBI gets involved. But then you also have to take into consideration George Barnhill, who was the second district attorney in this case, who publishes on the record a statement, a three-page, four-page document that says, in no uncertain terms, that Ahmad Aubrey's death, his murder, his homicide, was justified under uh, Georgia Statute 17, I mean, 16-4-16, no, which was then the Georgia Citizens Arrest Statute, and pretty much says, I'm not going to prosecute this case, right? There's no accountability there. Even the attorney general here in the state of Georgia indicted Jackie Johnson on violations of oath of office, and everybody celebrated it as though that was some kind of remarkable achievement, when in fact, when you look at the history of public corruption within prosecutors' offices and, and seeing the difference between when a white Republican or a white politician who is you know, in a majority party does not get any real true accountability outside of just a slap on the wrist, quote-unquote, violations of a public oath of office versus say a democrat in this present moment who's indicted with several felonies and is sent to prison for a very long time and so when we talk about justice the very fact that the the, the conversations right now are stemming from whether or not this case has been influenced by the public is a failure of justice because even though that they are making those arguments currently in the court declaring a mistrial in many ways their arguments are correct because it was not until the public outcry that GBI got involved and there was accountability. That is not how the legal system is supposed to work. But that is where we are. And so it shows us that we have a long way to go until we can ever truly see justice. Because obviously the system that we claim to, to love and uphold and, and honor the Constitution is not working. Because if it was, they would have been arrested from day one. Right on. I, I don't claim to love and, and <laughs> love this system, um, but but I understand uh, your meaning. As I was preparing for this segment, right, I'm sitting on my couch in my living room, and I'm, I'm picturing in my head. I didn't watch the video. I, I I can't watch them all, so I just want to preface this with that. 
but I'm 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 I'm, I'm sitting in my on my couch and, and I'm thinking about Ahmad Arbery running, being cornered by trucks, right, and then cornered and killed. And I can't help but give flashbacks to what 1920s, 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. Mr. Bruce, what are these men being charged with? And are there hate crime enhancements in in the state of Georgia? Mr. Bruce? I don't know if Chris is there, but I, I can definitely... Yeah, he might have... Please, talked, please, please go ahead, Pastor. So, yes and no. So, this, this, the hate crime statute that was passed back uh, two years ago was not passed in enough time to make this uh, retroactive application to this case. It is also a post-conviction kind of question. So, you may see that play into to part. However... What hate crimes does entail is you have to be able to prove that there was a racist intent behind it. And so we talked about legal strategy and talking about how laws are applied. It is, it is very difficult to do that. Right. And if you look at the federal hate crime statute, you have a list of protected classes. But the data reporting, the targeting, all that, it is very difficult to prove that. And so there's a difference between what Georgia passed uh, and what the federal government has within the U.S. Department of Justice. But I can share that the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District has considered filing charges on the federal level that that implies that hate crime uh, uh, violation. And so we, we still have not reached that point. Um, but I do know that there was a federal indictment that came down. And so that is something that we'll see after the conclusion of this particular trial. Okay, Mr. Bruce, we're glad to have you back. Um, can, can you talk a, a bit more? We were just talking about the hate crime enhancement. Can you talk a bit more about what these three men are being charged with? Um, and, and what is what is their, and this is air quotes, d defense? Because it's, it's not disputed that they chased him and killed him. I mean, one of the, the defendants said, quote, they had him trapped like a rat, end quote. I'm sure it's disgusting. I, I want to make sure I pick off where uh, Woodall has talked about uh, true justice because, again, he pointed out the failures that happen within the system with the attorneys, the prosecutors, everything else. People really need to focus on the police department as well. Um, not only just their failures to make the arrests and proper investigations, but Ma Aubrey was killed on February 23rd of 2020. In November of 2019, he was literally sitting in a car in the park by himself and while two police officers came up and harassed him and almost tried to uh, tase him as well, if it wasn't for a malfunctioning taser, he would have been tased for being not belligerent at all. And this is all caught on uh, body camera video. However, right. nothing has happened with these two police officers. Nothing has happened within the incestuous pool of corruption in the Glen County Police Department. So that's where it goes into justice, and that's why we have this type of issue right now with the McMichaels who were able to sleep in their beds for 73 days before actually being charged. Mm -hmm. And that's only because the GBI actually jumped in. So uh, I just want to make sure that we're on the record clearly of saying thank you. Justice again is thank not you when that. And I just goes to jail, it's when we're doing something. Right. And just really quickly, my, my listeners may not know, you mean the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, right? The state branch Correct. of the FBI, right. correct? That's who jumped in and pressed charges because the, the, the city apparently was not going to do anything. Um, so back to the, the charges and, and the so-called defense. How, how do you justify chasing someone down with a truck and, and then killing them? 
Oh, yeah. And that's the system that we are currently in. So, again, when I was talking about the motions where they're just always uh, objecting to passengers coming in, or anything else, they're going to continuously do that because you have to put up a defense. In our criminal legal system, you do have a right to a defense. You have a right to an attorney. They have private ones, not public ones as well. So it, it doesn't matter. And I agree with this. You should have someone advocating on your behalf if you did something or if you didn't do something. The question is, right. what is justice and how is it going to be served? So as a defense attorney myself, yes, I'm going to come up with any and everything to actually justify what my clients did um, to make sure that they get the type of justice that they deserve. But that's just one viewpoint. Why you have the prosecutors, because remember, it's, it's a personal crime, something that happened to a mod in the civil sense and the family. And then you have the criminal. They robbed a person of their life, a citizen of the state. And that's why they're being prosecuted towards it. So using terms of self-defense and everything else, you, you're going to try to do whatever it takes to make sure that your client gets off or does not have as harsh of a sentence. So if I was in that war room with them, yes, I'd be coming up with some pretty uh, interesting legal theories, considering that almost every motion, pre-trial motion that they file, has been denied by this judge. So the defense that they have is really, they really don't have a really valid defense because a lot of things that were said they don't want to rule on or come in as evidence has already been ruled on that it's going to be admissible or they cannot put up those types of defenses already. So it's, it's kind of a scramble right now as far as what they're doing. Right, I want to ask one more legal question, and then I, I want to take it to the larger impact on black folks. Um, and and, I, and the, the legal before piece... We, oh, oh, before yeah, ahead, before we move on that question, I want, to, I want to raise this very specific point, because we have two things happening here in this case right now. You have the defense of William Roddy Bryan, who is the guy who took the actual video, and his legal team, Kevin Gaw, who is the one who raised the mistrial motion on... Uh, uh, Jesse Jackson and, and Al Sharpton, he has a very different legal strategy than you will see uh, some of the other attorneys, the three other attorneys for the defendants uh, uh, lifting up in this case. So the, the, the Brian strategy is pretty much just to suggest he didn't have anything to do with the murder. He didn't have anything at all. He simply was following along. He had the video recorder. There's no way in the world he didn't have a gun in his car. So there's no way in under law that he could be held liable for the death of Ahmaud Aubrey. So he's trying to distance himself as mm. far away as possible from the case. And then he lifts up the fact that the media pressure, which is a part of his legal strategy, which is very genius, if, if you might ask me, to suggest that before GBI's involvement, there was not any investigation into William Roddy Bryant's uh, liability in the death of Ahmaud Aubrey. And so that is something that is quite interesting. We might see play out totally different than we anticipated. On the, on, on the, uh, on the uh, McMichael side, however, their strategy is simply suggesting Ahmad Aubrey was not running. He was walking into the neighborhood, which has been proven by the state that that is true. However, okay. he, has, he has put himself in this position on numerous times because he was not burglarizing these communities, but he was also trespassing time and time again and shows a pattern of him not being in the right place at the right time. And as property owners under Georgia law, you have certain rights to de defend your property. And so that is part of that legal strategy that you see playing out during this direct examination and cross-examination. 
But but the property that I mean, at, at least the one that you know is in all of the the, the media headlines that they talked about seeing them in. My understanding is that that's an un, it was an unfinished property. It was under construction. It was wide open, and that this piece of property did not belong to any of the three men on trial. Is that right? That's correct. It, it was owned by Larry English, but what the the testimony and evidence showed was that Larry English did, in fact, call law enforcement on numerous occasions when Mr. Arbery allegedly would come to the property, but law enforcement never actually encountered him to give him any notice of trespassing or anything to that effect. It has also not been proven that the persons in these videos is actually Ahmaud Arbery. Let's be very, very clear about that. Mm, and so okay. you have this continuation of questioning about well, Ahmad Aubrey is known to be running and, and all of the narratives around this case. The thing that has not been proven is that in those videos, Ahmad Aubrey was not confirmed to be the person who is allegedly trespassing these properties. The second thing is the deputization of individuals not that, that are not law enforcement. George McMichael or Gregory McMichael and Travis McMichael are not law enforcement. Law enforcement gave them or gave the property owner the number of Mr. McMichael who lived behind that property and gave pretty much says, hey, if you see anything, if you hear anything, here's the number of somebody who is wanting to help you. And he, he was okay with it. And so it goes again to that question of what is happening within our, our, our system of legal process that we deputize non-law enforcement. Some would even question why we deputize law enforcement either, but that's not where we are right now. And so that's this show for sure. <laughs> that's right. So it's like we have this system that we're all living in, regardless if we just, uh, agree with it or not. And we're extending right. benefits to white people to do things that we saw back in the 1800s after the uh, after right. the Emancipation Proclamation, which reflects slave patrols. That's right. Thank you, Pastor, actually, for bringing that point home. Right. To, for, for full circle on that. That was what I was trying to not as eloquently as you just did get to earlier on. We, we just have like a minute and a, and a half uh, closing statements uh, from, from both of you. Mr. Bruce, we'll, we'll start with you and then we'll end with you, Pastor, and we'll probably have you both back on the show uh, as this continues. Happy to do that, and I'm glad that you are actually focusing on this. Uh, a lot of this is going by the wayside. This is something that really goes into who we are as a people, being judged, black, white, whatever. This young man had a right to be there without being disturbed and was literally murdered. And I'm using murdered as That's distinctly right. as I can. And it still goes along with what I was saying about justice, picking up where Pastor Woodall was saying. Those police officers deputized them as well. This, that is, again, goes along with, are they going to do this on another situation? That's why the ACLU mm -hmm. of Georgia has given Glenn County a citizen's review board to hold the police more accountable so situations like this never happen again. Again, we seek justice, uh, no matter what situation with who it is. And that's what the Ahmaud Aubrey's family deserves. That's what the people of Glen County deserve. And that's what this country should forever strive for. Thank you. Pastor Woodall, 30 seconds. 30 seconds, I'll just make it very plain. Justice, in this case, does not mean conviction. Justice means looking at the entire system and cl claiming and showing and demonstrating that it has failed us in abolishing this system and getting putting into its place something that actually works and restores and really builds community because right now this is not what we got. That is not what we have. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for coming on the show this morning. Much appreciated.
We have been speaking Thank to you. Christopher Bruce, Policy Director with the ACLU of Georgia, as well as Reverend James Woodall, Public Policy Associate associate with the Southern Center for Human Rights. And that does it for today's show. Upfront airs weekday mornings at 7 a.m. Posting information about topics and guests online at kpfa.org.